I don't have children of this age. My children are a little bit older, but I do have a grandson called Arthur, and he's about two. They say they're terrible twos, don't they? But he's not terrible. He's lovely. Anyway, Arthur, it's been fascinating to observe him as he's grown and developed. Maybe I've noticed it more when you, with your own children, you're so sort of just like in the moment, aren't you? And keeping the show on the road. But with your grandchildren, you can be a little bit more contemplative and observant, can't you, perhaps? Anyway, that was that's me. Um, <clears throat> so there's Arthur, and as he um, grew up from a, a little baby, um, he was very preoccupied with the obvious things of life, wasn't he? What he would eat, what he would drink, whether he slept enough, and so on. <clears throat> but um, as he's developed he's become more perceptive. And so you can see him reasoning. And sometimes I think even though he's only two, he's the most sensible person in the room. Um, he's processing things. And, uh, and, and, and he's beginning to make decisions. He has, even at that age, he has choices to make, doesn't he? Whether he will eat his dinner or not, what he will play with, how he will relate to others. And, um, of course, as he develops that, uh, that competence, that ability, um, uh, that, that processing ability, he becomes even responsible, doesn't he? Even as a two-year-old, for the decisions he makes, to an extent. There's accountability, isn't there? And I'm sure you know, we all appreciate that, don't we? Accountability for our actions. And it increases with uh, our age and so on. And our consciousness of what's going on around us. Well, this passage uh, before us is, is really about that. It's about the growing awareness of a God's revelation, more important than anything else, and our response to that and our accountability. It's a big word, I know, but uh, uh, how responsible we are for our, for our reaction uh, in the light of God's word itself. So uh, we have this passage then, chapter 11, verses 29 to 32. And this passage builds upon the previous passage where all sorts of things are going on and people are responding to Jesus in different ways, some of them positively and some of them negatively. Uh, actions, um, uh, Jesus does a miracle and there's a whole myriad of reaction, a whole spectrum of reaction to what Jesus did and Jesus in that previous passage he reasoned with his listeners about their responses and he tried to encourage them to respond to them as they needed to. He was patient with them and he appealed to their reason but as we move a right response to his ministry he, he's saying to them, it's not acceptable to think what is right in their own eyes. I mean, that, that's the world that we're grow, growing up in, isn't it? That, well, if it's true for you, fine, but it may not be true for me. We can all believe our own things, no problem. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not acceptable. It isn't right for everyone to think what is right in their own eyes. And he explains this accountability to God. And uh, in doing so, he uses two examples, two historical examples. We're going to look at those, um, those two examples in history, the Queen of Sheba and the people of Nineveh. 
And then he looks at these Jewish hearers and he, he challenges them and we'll do the same. We'll look at, well, what about those Jewish hearers contemporary with Jesus? And then we're going to think about ourselves 2,000 odd years later. And we're going to look at that in chronological order. So uh, there's a sort of a sense of where we're going this evening. So uh, we see here, first of all, uh, the Queen of Sheba is referenced. And uh, this takes us back to a passage in 1 Kings chapter 10. She's referred to a couple of times in the Old Testament. Uh, but I'll read these verses from 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to uh, the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, that means uh, a whole series of camels rather than... ...stones... ...had on her mind... To her. Stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Well, the Queen of Sheba, uh, when did she live? Any, anybody know? How long ago do you think the Queen of Sheba lived? Any thoughts? Did you say 2000? Well, it was about 1000 BC, so about 3000 years ago. But yeah, thank you, a long, a long time ago <clears throat> uh, in ancient history here. And where was she? Well, about, to, we'll use the, the 2000, she was about 2000 miles from um, the Holy Land, uh, somewhere in maybe the Horn of Africa, Yemen, Ethiopia. It's referred to as the uttermost parts of the earth, the uttermost parts of the known civilized world uh, at that time. <clears throat> and maybe her interest was stimulated by um, some kind of trade mission. Goods would have been traded, wouldn't they, up and down, east and west, north to south, <clears throat> just as they are today. But then in these great caravans with camels, can you imagine it, carrying all this cargo. And maybe some reports had come to this Queen of Sheba. There's this amazing place called Israel. And um, it's a, there are some remarkable things going on there. 
<clears throat> and her interest had been stimulated and she wanted to go there herself and not like us um, jumping on a plane and traveling a, a thousand miles in a few hours. But um, she, it was a, a massively inconvenient, tortuous journey for her. I'm sure she'd have, been, she'd have had the nicest camels and carriage or whatever, but a long way uh, in a very arid, uncomfortable climate, a bumpy ride. <clears throat> but she was determined, wasn't she, to progress despite the distance. Uh, she brought lots of gifts with her as well to um, smooth out her reception, as it were, and uh, make it all successful. And, and the Bible says she asked hard questions. It was as if she'd, she'd pondered about this land and, and who led it and so on, and maybe the God of this land... And she wants, she'd, she'd prepared, she had questions in her mind, just, and hard, this wasn't some matter of, well, let's test Solomon with a few amusing riddles. Maybe it could be caricatured in that way, no, this was about, she had something personal to satisfy here, didn't she? She'd thought about it, she had some hard, and she wasn't gonna get, going to go away until she was satisfied. <coughs> and, uh, well, it's quite a moving account, isn't it? She's so impressed by Solomon, by what she sees, by what she hears, that she goes away praising the Lord. And there's a spiritual content here, isn't there? Verse 8 of 1 Kings chapter 10. How happy your men must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. This was not just at human level, was it? Um, the Queen of Sheba <clears throat> didn't go away thinking, well, what an amazing man is Solomon and what an amazing people these are. No, she recognized that it was God that made the difference. This was God's people. This was God's king. And it was God's influence that had brought about material blessing. The wisdom of Solomon, of course, which we know came directly from God because he asked God for it. And she recognized the Lord's love for his people. So with all of that in mind, it's hardly surprising, is it, that Jesus mentions this as an example uh, to the Jewish hearers here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth <coughs> to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. So there we have the first example the Queen of Sheba, all that journey she made, the hard questions she asked, how delighted she was with what she found. And she'd have had to make that long journey home then. She uh, gave very generous gifts to Solomon and Solomon gave very generous gifts to her and they would have gone all the way home. And we don't know what happened after that, do we? But uh, surely she would have taken this with her. We don't know whether she became a follower of God. But surely she would have taken this with her. She'd have had plenty of time to consider what she'd heard and what she'd seen on her journey home. And uh, we trust it was a blessing to her own people, to her own nation. 
while the Queen of Sheba, the first example quoted by Jesus. <clears throat> and then we have uh, another example a little bit later on, um, 2,750 years ago perhaps, the people of Nineveh. And uh, we're going to turn to uh, Jonah <clears throat> then for some verses about this. The second example that Jesus gives us, uh, and we're going to read, I'm going to read from Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. <clears throat> when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw uh, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. <clears throat> so here we are back in Luke chapter 11. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so will also the Son of Man be to this, to this generation. So uh, Jonah... Uh, 750 years before Christ. Uh, where was he? He was in Nineveh. <clears throat> where was Nineveh? Uh, we know it as Mosul in modern-day Iraq, where tragically there was so much destruction in the war a few years ago. And uh, what, was, what was Jonah doing in Nineveh? Well, he was a prophet, wasn't he? he was, you, we know the story. Um, he was instructed by God to go to Nineveh to preach repentance and he didn't want to go there, did he? And uh, he did everything he could to avoid going there because these Ninevites had a nasty reputation. <clears throat> and as far as Jonah was concerned, they did not deserve God's mercy. They deserved God's judgment and he wanted to see them perhaps annihilated rather than forgiven. He didn't go there and maybe he feared for himself as well so there we are he went in the opposite direction didn't he and uh, as we know he went onto a ship and a storm came and uh, he jumped overboard because he knew he was the trouble he was the reason for the storm and he was swallowed by a big fish <clears throat> and then he was spewed onto the land 
in God's mercy and he was told to go again to Nineveh and that's what he does here. He goes to this great city. <clears throat> Remember here we're talking about progressive revelation of God. We're talking about God speaking to us, aren't we? And God, God he spoke to the Queen of Sheba uh, even in Moraine. Uh, through Solomon and now God is speaking again through Jonah a little bit later on but still in ancient history and uh, Jonah he's he doesn't even know these people as far as we know he's a stranger to these people and here he goes um, he doesn't even want to be there as we've seen he's reluctant he's he was disobedient as a prophet uh, but he ends up there, as it were, because he can do nothing else. <clears throat> and what does he do? He goes there. The, he doesn't know these people. They don't know him. He's not had, uh, unlike perhaps the Queen of Sheba, uh, going to Solomon. Uh, there's no kind of big connection. Uh, there's no invitation. This is not some kind of state visit. He's not doing some kind of uh, international tour. He's just going there. There are no authenticating signs as far as we see that, that would make people believe that he's somebody special. Uh, these people, uh, they don't have the background of God's law. Uh, they, they don't have that preparation, as it were. <clears throat> One commentator has said, a less enlightened people obeyed less enlightened preaching. So there we are. Uh, Jonah goes to them and he preaches a simple message of repentance. And, uh, well, they could have just done with him, couldn't they? They could have stoned him. They could have killed him. They could have, if they were more polite, just said, uh, thanks for your message. We're not interested. Off we go. They had no uh, obligation to him, no duty to him. Uh, but no, what happens? Uh, this sheer statement, as it were, uh, on the first, he doesn't even have to preach for more than a day. The Ninevites believed God. <clears throat> and how did they show their belief? They declared a fast. This is dramatic, isn't it? They declared a fast. All of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. I don't know if you still do it in school these days. I remember... Uh, the sack race. Do you do those? <clears throat> anyway, it's not very comfortable stuff, whether you're trying to run in it or not. Sackcloth, and 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 they all wear this, and <clears throat> it's a kind of a it's a biblical way of demonstrating repentance that that God is everything, that God is holy, and we are sinners, we are wretched, we are nothing in in the light of God's holiness and God's judgment. And a way of representing that physically is by putting on sackcloth. Because it's uncomfortable. It's not like lavish clothing to present ourselves nicely. It's just to cover us in all of our inadequacy, in all of our sinfulness. Sackcloth. Uh, and, and they sat down in the dust. The, perhaps the desert dust. 
And, and the king, well, he, he might have well been in a position to say, I'm having none of this. Somebody coming, to, some stranger coming to my nation and telling us that we're wrong, condemning us, telling us that some God somewhere is going to judge us. But no, the king repents also. He sets an example and he commands all people, and not just the people, but even the animals, uh, to repent to be covered in sackcloth and ashes and to go without food. Can you, can you imagine trying to get the sackcloth on the animals and denying even the animals food? This was a repentance that ran wide and it ran deep. No, nothing was, no living thing was exempt from this repentance in response to the message of God through Jonah. And... Uh, they were to call urgently on God. Uh, that's what the king said. Let everybody call urgently on God. And not just call on God, but give up their evil ways and their violence. There was to be a, a transformation, wasn't there? A reformation, a complete change in this nation from the top to the bottom. To give up their evil ways and violence. And uh, to cap it all uh, we know that in the following chapter, Jonah was displeased that they responded in the way that they did. That, that God's, God's mercy had gotten through to them and that they had repented and that God had decided uh, to withdraw his destruction from them. <clears throat> what, an, uh, what a remarkable account, isn't it? Uh, Jonah going to Ninevites. What a reaction to God's word, to God's message through him. So it's not surprising, is it, that in Luke 11, uh, Jesus refers to these two powerful examples, the Queen of Sheba, a hard question, uh, the, dramatic, uh, the dramatic response she makes to everything she sees and hears. And then the people of Nineveh turning round from violence and rejection of God, their evil ways to repentance to God. What powerful examples Jesus makes. And now we come to these Jews then, during the life of Jesus. Well, how did they react to Jesus? <clears throat> well, verse 29 is interesting. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it. Well, uh, Jesus is saying here, well, yes, you're here to listen to me. And there are many, I mean, we'd be, we'd be uh, flattered by the number of people, perhaps, wouldn't we? At least encouraged, but Jesus sees the heart, doesn't he? And yeah, there may be an increasing crowd but Jesus is not just satisfied with a, a level of interest in spectators. He says this is a wicked generation to them, to this increasing crowd. Uh, why were they wicked? Well, perhaps they were looking for more evidence. We, there was already evidence of this in a preceding passage. Her reasons to justify rejecting Jesus. Yes, they were there, but... What was in their hearts? What were their motivations? And these people here, uh, Jesus' uh, Jewish hearings, well, how much did they know? Uh, what were they familiar with? 
when Jesus came to talk to them. Uh, listen to these verses from Luke chapter 24, uh, which uh, explain this. When Jesus, uh, when, when the disciples are on the uh, road to Emmaus, uh, Jesus says to them, uh, this is after Jesus' resurrection, Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Well, these Jewish hearers, they had, they had that, didn't they? They had the law, Moses and the prophets, they, they, under, they were taught in all of that. They had that as their background. Uh, like you, you children with your Sunday school, going to church from a young age, you've got that in you, haven't you? Almost in your DNA, that knowledge of what the Bible says. And may you be blessed through that. These, these Jewish hearers, they had that background in the law and the prophets. But they had hard hearts. They did not believe that Jesus was God, despite the overwhelming evidence. And they were resisting Jesus. And uh, here he brings these uh, challenges to them. And, and he says that they're heading towards condemnation, doesn't he? Through these two examples. Verse 31, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. And then verse 32, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. So he was saying, look, there we, there we are. We had the Queen of Sheba so far back in history. Uh, Solomon was wise, but there were real limits to what he knew, weren't there? He didn't have the, the, the scriptures as we have them today, or God's revelation as we have it today. And the, the people of Nineveh, and we've already seen Jonah's limitations and his reluctance. Uh, but also, he didn't have all the revelation that the Jews had either, did he? And yet, there was that reaction of repentance. And yet, these uh, Jews, with everything that they had in the law and the prophets, being the chosen people of God, as it were, well, they weren't responding to Jesus, who was greater than Solomon greater than Jonah in the way that they needed to. And so they were heading for condemnation. Well, so much for the Queen of Sheba, for Jonah and the Ninevites, for the Jews at the time of Jesus. What about us? What about you? What about me? today where are we in this again thinking back to my grandson growing in his knowledge growing in his awareness growing in his accountability growing in his decision well where are we in this series of revelation and accountability well we have even more revelation than the first century 
Jews about Jesus, don't we? Uh, we have uh, the whole ministry of Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, written out for us, don't we? Uh, perfect accounts, comprehensive accounts of, of that. But then we have uh, the, the, the New Testament after that, don't we? The New, the, the, the New Testament church, the early church. And then we have all the letters to the church and so on. We have the whole canon of the Bible, don't we? The whole perfect revelation of God in the Bible. More than, more than any of them had put together, as it were. <clears throat> um, verse uh, 29, again, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Uh, these Jews at the time, they, they wanted a miraculous, they wanted more revelation. They, they wanted to test Jesus. They wanted more evidence. And Jesus said, no, you've got more revelation than you need already. None will be given it. None will be given you. And uh, surely that's the same for us. We have all, we're rich in revelation. We have Revelation overflowing. There's no need for more evidence, no more revel. If you're thinking, well, can I trust this Jesus? Uh, how can I respond to him? Don't look for more revelation. We have an abundance. We have sufficient revelation, all sufficiency in the scripture. And uh, more than that, we have 2,000 years of church history. Uh, we have Two revivals in Wales. We have the scriptures translated into English for centuries. Myriad of different versions. The New King James, the NIV and so on and so forth. All this revelation. All this evidence that we have at the pinnacle of all of this. The Queen of Sheba, the people of Nineveh, the Jews and us. All this revelation and all this accountability. Well, if you're not a Christian this evening, if you haven't put your trust in him, if you haven't said he's my Lord and my saviour, uh, don't, don't look for reasons to of Jesus. Uh, Jesus' words here are really challenging, aren't they? He refers to the day of judgment there will be that day of judgment when we we are held to account for our response to him and the queen of the south will be there the ninevites will be there they they responded appropriately they responded in faith and repentance uh, we we don't want to find ourselves there alongside of them with all the abundance of revelation we've received not having repented being judged not only by God, but even by them. Uh, looked at askance by the people of Nineveh. Why, why did you not repent? By the Queen of Sheba. Why did you not repent with all that you had? Well, we, we want to be having fellowship with them, don't we? And uh, not to be judged by them on the day of judgment. We might ask, well... What was the, the purpose of Jesus in uh, challenging the Jews in this vivid way? 
uh, in the passage that we've read. Well, I don't believe he was there to condemn them. I don't think he was trying to write them off, although perhaps he had every reason to do so. I don't believe that's what he was doing. John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I believe he was giving them an opportunity here, wasn't he, to respond. He was challenging them using these powerful examples to respond to him. The door was open for them to respond in faith and belief. And uh, here we have it. There's a challenge here, isn't there? There's a challenge if you haven't put your faith and your trust in Jesus to, uh, to do that, to follow the good example uh, set by the Queen of Sheba and the Ninevites and to respond to him to respond to Jesus in faith and repentance and uh, to those who have done that already well we we don't just respond in faith and repentance once do we it's uh, something we need to do every day we live in a a tough world don't we we live in tough situations there's plenty there to undermine our faith and maybe in our own lives there's a danger of putting up barriers to God, into resisting him, uh, becoming too comfortable with the blessings that God gives us and not the one who is blessing us. So there needs to be that perpetual, that ongoing repentance and sensitivity and malleability and responsiveness to the word of God doesn't add to those of us that, that God has a re revealed himself to. So a challenge to us as well. 